Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. Today on the show, we're going to provide an update on education in North Carolina during COVID-19 and the essential role that public schools are playing in our communities during the pandemic. We'll also discuss how districts are working to meet the particular needs of exceptional children and English language learners during this challenging time. Here to share their insights are three K-12 public school leaders who are joining us virtually from both the mountains and the coast. I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Scott Elliott, Superintendent of the Watauga County Schools in Boone, North Carolina, and we're delighted to have you here this morning. Hi, Tom, thanks for having me. Uh, do you mind starting with just kind of saying this crisis is unprecedented and how has the last four weeks um, played out in your district and how you and your district leadership team have kind of responded to it? Yes, uh, and it certainly has been. Uh, it's just unlike anything that uh, we as school leaders have ever seen before. Uh, those of us who've been uh, in this for a, a couple or a few decades now remember 9-11 or uh, H1N1 or a, a, you know, uh, innumerable uh, hurricanes and snowstorms, but nothing at all like this. Uh, and so while we could not have seen a global pandemic coming, um, many school systems across the state and here in Watauga County began planning for this um, in January. Uh, certainly we did not know uh, how it would escalate or when the governor might close schools, but uh, in the week or two before the governor closed our schools, we began to, to plan uh, more quickly and more seriously. Um, here in Watauga County, we've been able to, to react very quickly and, and um, mobilize around three priorities. The first of those was, uh, is, maintaining the health and safety of our employees and keeping as many of our employees in pay status and with their benefits as possible. Uh, we know that school systems across the state are often the largest or one of the largest employers in their communities. We're the third largest employer here in Watauga County with uh, around 700 employees. So we've worked really hard to keep everyone employed, even if that means being creative about some of the work that people are doing. Our second priority um, has been our remote learning. So uh, we met as a district leadership team the weekend, right after uh, the weekend when Governor Cooper made his announcement to close schools. We met for several hours on that Sunday, and uh, within three days, we had learning packets ready to go and several thousand Chromebooks out in the hands of students, and we were able to begin our remote learning right away. And third, and the thing that has really consumed a lot of our, um, our resources and time and energy has been feeding our children and our student nutrition program, which has been so incredibly important. So uh, our district leaders have worked really hard around those three priorities. And uh, we've had a few bumps in the road as we've gone, but um, it's it's been uh, pretty smooth. Very good. Well, certainly um, those are key priority areas for you. How about, um, have there already been some learnings that have taken place in terms of what you see now really the role of the public schools are in your community? Absolutely. Um, we have seen uh, just an outpouring of positive support from our community for our schools, uh, largely around the very visible work of meal distribution. We are a small rural community with about 4,600 students enrolled um, in our schools. Uh, on average, we've been distributing about 4,200 meals a day. And on the Friday prior to spring break, we distributed four days worth of meals. We distributed 20,000 meals in one day. Uh, we have 30 student nutrition uh, staff members um, who have been doing that work along with bus drivers, 
teachers' assistants, even many teachers volunteering to ride the buses and distribute those meals. And I think that it has caused within our community a, um, a realization or perhaps just a reminder of the importance of, of our public school system um, and the work that we do to support and lift up and sustain our community. We've also, it's been a great reminder that in terms of um, a, a response to this emergency within our community that we have the infrastructure and staffing and equipment and uh, you know transportation system and workforce to be able to provide for our community, not just in the meals, but we have infrastructure in place should we need emergency shelter uh, for our hospitals. Um, we've been able to loan out equipment and resources uh, to others in the community in need. And it's also uh, just been a good reminder to folks um, how, how hard our teachers work and uh, the value and importance of having uh, highly trained professional skilled educators who can quickly adapt from the classroom to the virtual uh, remote learning environment so quickly. Great. Um, you know, uh, but just from a public education perspective, the governor, the state board of education, the department of public instruction has really responded from my perspective quickly on trying to move forward from a superintendent's perspective. Um, what have you seen and how do you, any considerations that you think legislators and policymakers need to look at in future decisions? Yes, and I agree with you, Tom. I appreciate how quickly the governor uh, has moved and how clear he has been in his uh, orders. I appreciate how quickly the legislature uh, have convened their committees and work groups and that our legislators are reaching out to us daily and weekly uh, to check on us, to see what resources we need and to consult us about the legislation that is to come later this month. And I can't say enough about the work uh, of the staff at the Department of Public Instruction. I know that Dr. Stigall was on the show uh, recently and the work that he and Bev Emery and the many uh, uh, colleagues at the department have been doing. I wanna go back to that first week that uh, schools were closed. Immediately, uh, a group of superintendents with the North Carolina School Superintendents Association under the leadership of Jack Hoke, our executive director, began to work on policy and legislative recommendations. And within two weeks, uh, the 115 superintendents in our state put forward a four-page document with a large number of recommendations around regulatory flexibility, accountability um, flexibility, uh, needs for additional funding, how we handle things like grades and graduation requirements, uh, work status and leave for, for our uh, employees. And I just want to thank our state leaders for um, receiving those recommendations so well and already implementing many of those recommendations on our behalf. Our superintendents um, are having a statewide meeting once a week to talk about the status of things across the state and to uh, further refine our recommendations to our state leaders. Um, and then there are a number of us uh, superintendents who are serving on the 12 different committees that have been created at the Department of Public Instruction around the reentry to school, uh, graduation requirements. Um, I'm serving on the committee that is making recommendations for calendar considerations for next year. And um, I just applaud everyone across the state for coming together and working uh, to try to make the best decisions possible for our teachers and for our students. Great. I know that there was a $50 million allocation from some existing funds and some emergency release fund that's been distributed to the school districts across the state. Um, that $50 million represents, you know, the beginning of that kind of funding process. And I know we anticipate about $398 million additional funds coming from the, from the federal recovery act. Um, how is that initial 
allocation of flexible funding allotment impacting you uh, right now? Yes, I wanna thank our state board and Chairman Davis uh, for acting so quickly to pull together those funds uh, from other needs that are also great needs like our, uh, our summer reading program for, for students, things like that. Um, of that uh, $50 million here in Watauga County, we're immediately putting that money to work to support our remote learning program. We have significant expenses that we have incurred with our Chromebook distribution, the Wi-Fi hotspots that we have distributed to students who don't have broadband internet access in their homes. Uh, to the uh, Wi-Fi hotspots that we put on school buses uh, to put out throughout the community, the additional copying expenses uh, for our teachers to be able to create those learning packets, which they did in, in two days after the governor uh, made his announcement so that our students could continue to, uh, to learn from home. Uh, but we also know across the state and here in Watauga County, we are incurring a significant expense in our student nutrition program. Okay. Uh, we appreciate that we're working under the higher reimbursement rate of the summer feeding program. But nonetheless, uh, here in our little county, we've we've made and distributed over 82,000 meals in two and a half weeks. And, and we know that uh, that there's going to be some significant expense there. Okay. We're also going to use that money and are hopeful for some of those additional funds for some additional pay for our frontline employees who are risking their own health to continue to feed uh, our children and provide for uh, the transportation and the IT needs to keep all of this moving. We've got like a half a minute left in our segment. So any silver linings to this, uh, Dr. Elliott? Yeah, we have to uh, keep our heads up and look for the, the optimistic silver linings. This is a terrible time and our hearts go out to all of those who've been affected. But there will be some very positive changes that come from this, from realiz uh, realizing uh, the need to, to improve uh, food security for our students, broadband access uh, for our children, and that we can do so much more with our technology. And uh, of course, a reminder that we, uh, we all need each other. Well, I wanna thank you so much for being with us um, here today and for sharing insights from Watauga County, as well as from a statewide perspective of your colleagues across the state. After the break, we'll discuss educating during the coronavirus from the other side of the state with Dr. LaShawn Smith, Deputy Superintendent in New Hanover County Schools, and one of her principals, Dr. Maria Madison from the College Park Elementary School. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Joining us now are Dr. LaShawn Smith, Deputy Superintendent of the New Hanover County Public Schools in Wilmington, and Dr. Maria Madison, Principal of College Park Elementary School there in Wilmington. Welcome to both of you to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. We're glad to have you here. Um, Dr. Smith, if you would um, talk from a district perspective how you feel things are going in light of the coronavirus pandemic and what some of the key challenges and priorities that you all have been addressing uh, there the last four weeks. Well, I cannot say enough um, about the committed and dedicated educators and staff within our district. Um, folks have gone, in my opinion, above and beyond to do their very best to mitigate the devastating impact that this pandemic um, is having on public schools and our community as a whole. 
Um, we're really working to stay connected as a school family um, and to ensure that um, not only are we taking care of the academic needs of our students, but the social emotional needs of, of students as well. Very good, great. Dr. Madison, from a school principal's perspective there at College Park, um, what other thoughts do you have? Well, hey, we understand what the meaning of teamwork is. This is now truly putting everything in perspective. We've increased our patience, collegiality, and collaborative teaching skills. And most importantly, we found out who is really tech savvy at College Park. And some of the challenges um, that we are continuing to face is that we are still we still have about um, 40 students that are still missing. When I say missing is that we have not made the connection with them. And so we are still trying to connect with those families and most of those families are ESL. So we're using our resources from the district and of course from the community to try and reconnect with the families that we still haven't connected with. Very good, very good. Well, kind of tied into that, Dr. Smith, um, equity of opportunity has been an ongoing kind of concern for our public schools. Um, how are your schools and districts kind of managing the inequities that you're seeing and trying to address it? So addressing the disparities um, and performance between different groups of students is, is not anything new. It's not a new challenge to our district, not a new challenge to our state, but the impact of school closure has definitely exacerbated um, the, the, the issue. Um, and so where we are truly challenged is in how do we continue to provide um, services um, to students who um, require specially designed services. Um, for those students who re require um, interventions or intervening services um, or even extended learning opportunities. Um, so we're, we're navigating that landscape, as, as Dr. Madison mentioned, you know, we're becoming very tech savvy um, in, in determining who our, our go-to technology people are within the district. We're looking at teletherapy as an option for some, for some of our students. Um, and, you know, with just a, a focus on working as a partner with parents to continue to support students um, the best way possible. Dr. Madison, I know you have a number of, um, a good number of both students that are served through the Exceptional Children's Program, as well as through the English Language Learners or English as a Second Language Program. Talk about those things that you're trying to do to really connect and meet those students' needs during this time. Well, during this time, our district gave us an opportunity to prepare for the remote learning. So our entire staff participated in professional development on talking points. So we are now considered um, certifiers of that. And we use that to communicate back and forth with our ESL families. And in regards to our other families that we were having a difficult time, especially in our special education program, those families, we are using the um, telecommunication and we're able to support them um, using the, the um, therapy that um, Dr. Smith mentioned, as well as our mental health therapists. We're using the teletherapy to support them 
and as well as um, we increase certification using Seesaw digital platform as well and Google Classroom. So yeah. those are the three main um, professional development areas that College Park staff has really pursued. And we're using those digital platforms to address of our, all of our students, our academically gifted students. We are using Khan Academy for them. And we're all working as a team and connecting with all of our families using those digital platforms. Right. Um, both of you have mentioned this. So maybe Dr. Smith, if you could maybe talk from a district perspective, tell us a little bit more about an example of what teletherapy might look like. So teletherapy quite possibly could be an OT um, specialist. Occupational um, therapist. Uh -huh. Yes, an occupational therapist connecting with a parent and the, the, the parent being there receiving the directions and instructions from the, from the occupational therapist and then engaging in those manipulations and in um, activities with the child. Um, we understand so much of um, what is required for students um, might be hand over hand. Um, and so, of course, you can't do hand over hand very well remotely. Um, you need another person present. And so through teletherapy, we're able to provide that service. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, you know, as we think about I know May 15th that we're closed through that date. And we're, of course, we're waiting to get further directions from the governor and the state of whether or not schools could reopen. But whether schools reopen on May 16th or June or August, um, what are some of your thoughts from a district perspective and a school perspective about things that should be being thought about now or planned for now on reopening the schools? So... I think first and foremost, we have to give consideration um, to the whole child. Um, and, you know, we, we've spoken about that throughout, I think, the, the conversation. So it's not just simply about academic needs, but it has to be about social, emotional needs as, as well. Um, and then we have to give consideration to, to, the, to the family of the learners um, that we serve. We know that there are, our, our folks are positioned very differently in terms of their resilience. So we're going to have families who, if we were to open up May 18th, they, they would be ready. Um, but as Dr. Madison um, shared, she has families for which she's not um, even been able to connect at, at this point. Um, and so I would say to you, it's going to be really a challenge um, for, for, for us to um, have the same expectation for, for those, those families. So understanding that the resiliency levels within our families are, are, are different. Um, I think it's going to be critical for um, once we know when um, reentry will occur, um, for us to begin to look at multiple paths um, for folks depending on where they are. Um, I know that we're going to have to take long and hard looks at our at our standards, um, and um, you know, and we're going to have to be willing and flexible as we have been through this remote learning process to look at how we can transform instruction to meet children where they are and then accelerate that learning um, so that children are not disadvantaged as a result of this, this pandemic. 
We have about 30 seconds left, uh, Dr. Madison. So I'm going to give you a chance to give any kind of shout out to the wise owls out there uh, from <laughs> College Park. What your students are looking at you right now, what do you want to say to them and their parents? I want to say to everyone, outstanding wise leaders, continue to be safe. We miss you. And I can't wait to see you in the sunshine again at College Park. It's been great having both of you on. Thank you to coming to us from New Hanover County Schools today. And to you and your students, parents, and staff and community, please stay healthy and stay safe, okay? Okay, we will. Take care. After, after the break, this week's final word. As any great teacher will tell you, one of the most exciting things about their profession is that no two days are exactly alike. From the spontaneity of a kindergarten who experiences for their first time sitting on the new hook and ladder fire truck in their local community, to the senior in high school sharing news of their acceptance letter to their top choice university, these moments illustrate what makes the teaching profession so rewarding. During this past month, as our students, parents, and teachers have transitioned to the necessity of a 100% remote learning environment, the adage that no two days are exactly alike continues to ring true. Our teachers continue to seek ways to deliver the most effective learning experiences for their students to develop their essential basic academic skills, expand their knowledge, and help each student make new connections between what they are learning and how it relates to their future needs and aspirations as a lifelong learner. As our guest on today's show shared, meeting the unique academic and personal needs of our 200,000 plus students served by our exceptional children's program presents new challenges and barriers. Parent-teacher-school relationships are even more critical at this time to be sure communications are open and to the best of everyone's ability, the needs of the child stay central to the remote learning and services needed. Similar to our exceptional children's unique needs are those of our English language learners. Extra time and additional resources are required of our new remote learning setting to assure these students and their parents receive the support they need to minimize each child's academic loss between now and when schools are reopened. Even in the most ideal of conditions, meeting the diverse needs of these two important groups of our students is challenging. When compounded by the range of home circumstances, access to the internet and devices, and language barriers, our teachers need and deserve our full support in helping them to stay connected and engaged with their students and parents. While we all recognize the daunting task ahead of our state leaders during this time, and as they begin preparing for our recovery from COVID-19, they must be sure that meeting their constitutional requirement for all students to receive a sound basic education moves to the top of the list. Their plan should be reflected in their approach to new or revised state policies, as well as in their funding priorities of both current and new federal or state funding. North Carolina has a rich history of pulling together in times of a state crisis, and I remain confident that North Carolina will come out on the other side of this pandemic more committed to meeting the needs of our 1.5 million students, their parents, and our teachers and staffs. 
That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.